0: So the great hope for a Merry Christmas some holiday gathering has just been, well, it's been omicron As new restrictions and new advisories have descended like the Grinch, suddenly the hottest stocking stuffer, a booster shot. For tens of thousands of people who plan to finally take a holiday, that's just been crushed.
1: To those who were planning to travel, I say very clearly, now is not the time to travel. The rapid spread of the Omicron variant on a global scale makes us feel the worst for Canadians that may think
2: of traveling.
0: So it's deja vu all over again. The government is reinstating the requirements of a pre-arrival negative PCR test result for all travelers leaving the country for less than 72 hours. Meantime, provinces are moving to reduce capacity in indoor spaces. And once again, speeding up the eligibility for booster shots. So look, all this is provincial responsibility, of course, but the federal government is the backbone. It has to ship the boosters to the provinces. And while that's going on, there are now new concerns about how the next wave of COVID will impact the economy and the need for government supports. A few days ago, I had a chance to sit down for a 30-minute, one-on-one interview with Prime Minister Trudeau. Now, we discussed everything from the economy and inflation to the controversial Bill 21 to his own political future. But I began the conversation asking about the issue impacting everyone's lives right now the pandemic let's go to the pandemic Um, gosh we thought we were out of it and now here we are with omicron what's the projection on how long this lasts for what is the government prepared to cover
1: we made a simple promise to canadians at the beginning of the pandemic that we would have their backs as much as it took for as long as it took and it's not just about doing the nice thing it's about Knowing that when you support people through a crisis like this, you bounce back stronger whenever that ends up happening. So as long as the pandemic lasts, we will be there to support Canadians because that will ensure that the rebound, that the economy comes roaring back as quickly as possible. It's already something we're seeing.
0: But how long? I mean, what do you, what's the projection? Are we out of this? In, people, that's all we get at. Are we out of this in January? Are we out of this by uh, next year? What's I, your I projection? remember you
1: asking me that right. question in mid-2020. Right. Uh, you asked me again at the end of 2020 and at Christmas. How long? Everyone wants to know. The scientists all have different different timelines, different potentials. It depends how bad Omicron is. They're still trying to do the, the tests on it. We're definitely in it for a while longer. but. What I can control and what the government can control is saying we will be there to support Canadians as long as it takes.
0: One way out is boosters. Mm -hmm. And we're behind the UK and the US in giving our boosters. Why didn't we roll, is not one of the lessons learned? We should have done this faster. Uh, Why aren't our boosters being rolled out faster?
1: We have procured enough supply for everyone to get boosters. The delivery of those boosters is on the provinces and they are setting up their timelines in terms of that what we are learning from the UK and others is get people those boosters as quickly as possible because uh, even the current formulation is effective against omicron so people should be getting their boosters as soon as they can.
0: I guess we need them now, is my question. Uh, So when are they coming?
1: They're coming as soon as we need them. Is there There a schedule? uh, There is a schedule, there are are commitments, there are commitments to have the boosters in Canada as soon as we need them. We have enough boosters for everyone, so there's no excuse but not here. for people...
0: But we don't have them here in Canada. I'm just trying to... Like, if all 26 million Evan, people said we want them now... We
1: want them tomorrow, we wouldn't be able to deliver them uh, into 26 million arms right. uh, okay. on tomorrow. Uh, but as soon as we can roll them out, we have enough boosters secured for everyone.
0: Will we need an annual shot? Are you planning? Is the government planning for an annual booster?
1: Uh, we don't know how this, this pandemic is going to unfold, which is why we have secured deals for the coming years and years on access to boosters and to shots if necessary.
0: The vaccine equity issue is interesting. I spoke to Dr. Singer from the WHO and he said, look, the WHO is saying don't give rich countries like Canada the third shot when 7% of Africa hasn't even had, the, only 7% has had one shot, maybe even less. What's your view on the morality of that? Taking a third shot for a Canadian, would we know the virus mutates in unvaccinated places and it then boomerangs back to us? Should we be getting a third shot before some get a first?
1: That's, that's a, a, an interesting moral question um, that, that we have gotten around by being one of the most active countries from the beginning on th- initiatives like COVAX and the ACT Accelerator to make commitments to donate not just vaccines but money and capacity to the world to be able to do it. We don't produce vaccines in Canada but my responsibility as Prime Minister of Canada is to make sure that we get enough vaccines to keep Canadians safe at the same time as we're investing in the world and that's what we're doing.
0: Okay, just last question on, on that. Um, would you cancel your plans for Christmas holidays and and the holiday now because people want to know people want to travel it's been two years is it time to cancel Christmas again
1: I think people need to make the right choices for themselves and based on public health information I'm gonna be spending Christmas uh, at the cottage I'm not going anywhere Uh, other families will make the decisions that are right for them
0: high inflation two words that will spike the temperature of any politician And the rising cost of living has been, along with the pandemic, the dominant challenge facing Prime Minister Trudeau. And there are no easy, immediate solutions. In November, inflation in Canada, 4.7%. That maintains an 18-year high, and the price of food and homes are both projected to increase throughout the new year. Now, the federal government argues this is all a global phenomenon. They're right on that. But citizens regard the federal government as the fire department. They may not have started the fire, but they have the job of putting it out. this past week, The finance minister, Krista Freeland, attempted to answer that. She released her fiscal update. That projected a $144.5 billion deficit for the new year. But it did not contain any new ideas to address the cost of living beyond the long-touted childcare promise. So does the prime minister have any new solutions for the inflation crisis hitting everything from homes to groceries? Here's part two of our one-on-one conversation with Prime Minister Trudeau. Here we are at the end of 2021 and the number one issue is inflation. It's at an eight-year high. You get questions about this every day. People are deeply concerned about the cost of living every day. The answer the government, and you've provided a lot, is, look, we've got this national childcare strategy, every province, and, and, and I, which I understand, but, and affordable housing. Those are long-term solutions. What in the short-term will your government do to alleviate the pain of inflation?
1: Well, first of all, inflation is a direct consequence of the global COVID crisis. I mean, COVID remains the number one issue people are dealing with. We don't want it to be the number one issue anymore. Everyone's tired of it. But we're dealing with supply chain disruptions and price disruptions related to COVID. And therefore, the number one thing we can do to support people right now in the economy is get done with COVID. And that means continuing vaccinations, getting people to get their boosters as well. The boosters are strongly effective against Omicron, even as they are right now. We need to keep doing the things we do to get through this crisis so that uh, we can get our economy back to normal. So people can get back to the things they love to do and uh, we can move forward.
0: But what I appreciate that, although, Uh, And we'll get at the causes of inflation in in a minute. But are there other short-term levers that the government has? Joe Biden said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do ports in in Mm -hmm. Los Angeles. We're going to go 24 hours a day to alleviate supply chain issues
1: what will your government do? We've been doing those sorts of things, money directly for ports to accelerate uh, the disruption, to minimize the disruptions in supply chains, uh, reach out to give more support to people where needed. Uh, There are are lots of things we're continuing to do uh, to support people who are affected by COVID, to support families, to support individuals. Yes, childcare and housing are a big part that are gonna help it, but there's always more to do and we're looking at it.
0: But one thing you could do, one question is, is stimulus a part of the inflation not the cause we know there's a global cause because we see inflation all over the the world but your government also says look we've recovered more jobs Mm -hmm. than we've lost yes the economy is growing it's roaring back so if it's roaring back is it time to rein in the spending that's
1: that's an argument that's being made by conservatives right now one of the things that we all remember in the two thousand eight recession conservatives pulled back the support too quickly and that recession lingered longer than it needed to. Um, We promised to be there to support people through COVID and all its impacts and that's what we're doing. So the supports for small businesses, the supports for families, the supports for vulnerable people, we're going to continue to do them even as we make fiscally responsible investments in things that will make a difference in the long term.
0: Again, you're talking about three years here uh about of stimulus what's your projection for how long inflation uh this inflation uh situation lasts the governor of the bank says it's um not short-lived mm. transitory but not short-lived was his phrase he told me
1: we want to minimize it and what you're calling stimulus over the next few years we're calling indispensable supports for the tourism sector supports for hard-hit cultural industries that are still affected by the pandemic we're not going to start pulling away those supports because we know canada came into this this covid challenge with one of the best best fiscal uh, situations of the G7, and we still have one of the healthiest balance books uh, of all our peer countries. We're continuing to put it to the investments necessary because it's not just a way to get through the health crisis. It actually lets our economy bounce back strongest and best. But there's a cost to that,
0: you know, $497 billion,
1: right? Mm -hmm.
0: Those are massive spending numbers, okay? under your term since 2015 the deficit has more or the debt has almost doubled so you say you have canadians backs now mm-hmm. what about the backs of the kids you have to pay for it in the next generation
1: the cost of servicing that debt is lower now than it was a few years ago before covid we are doing this in a fiscally responsible way and there was a decision to make in the beginning of the pandemic of do we massively support people through this or do we hold back our firepower to help people out of it? Conservatives said we needed to show restraint, not help people so much now because we need it more later. We said, no, no, we're going to help them right now and actually, what that has shown in countries that did like Canada is the recovery is quicker and better, and people are better off. The choice of helping people more, of having their backs, was the right one, regardless looking, okay, of what critics say. There
0: was widely, uh, wide agreement at that at the time. But let's, you're looking in the rearview mirror, let's just look out the windshield, because mm-hmm. I, I want to look ahead. Someone's got to pay for that. The underlying assumption about interest rates for you, and I think it's at, risky one, Prime Minister, is that interest rates will always remain lower than the growth. Historically, that's not the case. Growth could be significantly less than interest rates. If interest rates go up, then we are in a structural deficit. Are you worried about structural deficits?
1: I think it's always a mistake to try and bet against Canadians. Uh, What we're making is investments now. Talk about childcare, talk about renewables, talk about uh, about uh, the digital economy, but the investments a, we're making you now. you no, can't no. call spending
0: always betting a game for Canadians, okay. you have to also be That's responsible
1: what, with your spending. Absolutely. So let's talk about childcare. That's $30 billion. That's a big part of the investments we've talked about. Not only is it good for families and moms specifically, not only is it good for kids and giving them an opportunity. It's also something that allows for growth in the workforce and significant growth of our economy. So th- yes, that's a big upfront number that we're spending. And quite frankly, uh, Aaron O'Toole said, "Don't do it." He would rip up those programs. He doesn't think that's a worthwhile spending. I believe it is because it ends up returning more to the economy. Do you worry about the deficit? Let's yes. just be okay. Of course I do.
0: You've been prime minister for six years. You, you once promised you'd balance it. Those promises have you've never come to you. in fact it's gone the other way. Now there are circumstances, let's be fair, we understand the pandemic, but there's no fiscal guardrail. What do you have ever have a plan to get back to balance that Absolutely. is realistic?
1: We need to continue shrinking our debt as a size of our GDP. We need to make sure that the amount we owe as a proportion of the economy continues to decline. And that's exactly what we're doing. Even with all the extra investments and spending we've made now, uh, our fiscally responsible track remains it. And, you know, politicians always have debates over whether or not they're responsible or that responsible. Let's look at the third-party experts. Look at the the credit rating agencies. Canada has kept a AAA rating uh, from some of the largest agencies because our track is sustainable.
0: cost of living and affordability is slightly different than inflation. I get that. But let's talk about inflation in housing, which is the other big issue. Mm -hmm. It's since 2015 when you were elected, the average house price has gone up 77%. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about who's to blame for that. Low interest rates. Uh, There's lots of incentives to buy houses. What will your government do on a material level to help people buy houses and, and to stop the housing? prices from inflating?
1: One of the things we need to do is create more supply. And that's why we put forward a plan in the last election to invest $4 billion to municipalities to help accelerate the creation of supply, of uh, creating more low-income and modest uh, uh, income rental housing, Uh, cut down some of the red tape, provide federal lands to build on, move things forward in a way that incentivizes the creation of more housing, not just so housing prices can go down, but so that we can continue to bring in immigrants to, to contribute to our workforce. The
0: problem is, and I spoke to Evan Sidel, the former president of, and CEO of the CMHC, who you know. Yes. And I asked him about this program, the, the Home Buyers Incentive and the fund, the $4 billion. He said it's a multi-trillion dollar housing market. It, that will, it's too small to make a difference. That will not truly impact supply, maybe at the margins. He just doesn't believe that's enough. There's too many other factors especially low interest rates. One thing he said that would really deal with housing inequity is a capital gains tax, not retroactive, but going forward on primary residences. Would you ever consider that?
1: That's not something we're looking at. Uh, We are, however, in agreement with both you and, and Evan, in that there is no one silver bullet that's going to fix housing. We need a range of programs, whether it's eliminating blind bidding and uh, cutting down on predatory uh, practices, whether it's uh, investing in things like the portable housing benefit that we have for low-income families, the Canada Housing Benefit, whether it's incentives for first-time homebuyers that are helping them afford the cost of their mortgage and their down payment. There have to be a range of things, both on the demand side and the supply side. I
0: mean, that's interesting because one of the issues is that economists say that when you do do things like increase, I don't know, reduce the mortgage insurance payment or the first time homeowner's tax credit, that makes it easier to buy home. That incentivizes people. The problem is that increases demand, that inflates the house price and, and shorts the supply. The now, very things you're doing are the very things that may be causing the inflationary pressure.
1: They could if it weren't for the fact that we're very aware of those challenges around. if Simply put, if you give everyone an extra thousand dollars to buy a house, all the prices go up by an right. extra thousand dollars. Wow. So, you have to be very careful about how you do it. And that's why we're designing programs that aren't easy, that aren't uh, explainable in a, in a three-minute clip, that actually support specific parts and segments of the market to be able to challenge the problems they're facing. Let young people who are seeing it further and further away to be able to buy their first homes. There are measures you can put in, that we are putting in, that are going to accelerate the rate at which young people, young couples can buy their first home and start building that equity.
0: When a popular grade three teacher in Quebec lost her teaching job because she wears a hijab, there was outrage across the country. How could this happen in Canada? Well, this was not a bug in the Quebec secularization law known as Bill 21. This was the feature, the very purpose of it. After all, the law bans provincial employees, teachers or judges from wearing any religious symbol. But the teacher put a real face to the law and that sparked protests and responses. Mayors of big cities are now raising money to help fight the law that all federal leaders have essentially dismissed as an internal Quebec matter. But does that response hold up? And that's not the only issue facing the Prime Minister now. How does he deal with China after announcing a diplomatic boycott of the upcoming Beijing Olympics? And is he ready for a trade war with the U.S. over protectionism? To talk about all these issues and his own political future, will he run again? I sat down with Prime Minister Trudeau. Here's part three of that conversation. China. Uh, We now have a diplomatic boycott of the Beijing Olympics. Uh, The two Michaels. The crackdown on Hong Kong. The U.S. and the U.K. think there's a genocide going on against the Uyghurs, uh, the Muslim minority, as do the opposition parties. As to the
1: Parliament of Canada.
0: Do you believe there's a genocide?
1: I believe there needs to be a full investigation in it. I believe there are human rights violations that need to be exposed and accounted for, and uh, we need to make sure Is that. Is that a dodge? That though? Does that, no, does it's that, not.
0: I only ask you that because it means that we need an investigation. China says, "Sorry, no one's getting an investigation," so it's a uh, paralysis. But where, it's not where because the, the we've U.S. has enough evidence and the U.K. has enough evidence.
1: We've already laid out very clearly the consequences for the human rights violations that are going on in China right now, uh, and we're going to continue to act strongly on that. But the word genocide is such a significantly loaded word. We we know there needs to be a proper investigation into these allegations of uh, of genocide. That's something that China needs to uh, needs to accept, and we're going to continue to. N- increase pressure on them until they do.
0: The US ambassador to Canada David Cohen told me the other day that the biggest threat right now to the US is China on foreign policy. What's your answer to that question?
1: Uh, China is a, a significant challenge, uh, but so is the rise of authoritarian states, so are cyber attacks, uh, so is uh, Russia in in the Ukraine, so is you know there are many many international challenges to democracies like Canada, uh, to our open trading system in the world that is affected by the supply chain challenges. There are many, many challenges out there. China is certainly one of them.
0: Will we do more business with China or less business?
1: I think China is growing and continuing to have a significant impact on the world stage. We will continue to do business with China. We need to make sure that we are at the same time challenging and contesting China on human rights and on its its behaviors.
0: Will you take other um, um actions against china would you do uh different kinds of sanctions against china now because clearly they don't care they've said they're going to take countermeasures against canada uh they've also warned you don't ban huawei you're 3 years we've been waiting for that decision uh, some are saying that it looks like we're scared of China. When are you going to stand up to China?
1: What we have done every step of the way is work as part of a global community because you're absolutely right. Canada's voice alone isn't significant. But the way we were able to bring home the Michaels uh, was to see countries around the world bringing up the case of the arbitrarily detained Canadians in uh, bilateral conversations with Chinese leadership that did make an impact. And that's where. Pulling together as a world to be united in our values and our approach makes a big difference and Canada is leading on that.
0: U.S. protectionism is the other big threat. They have a $12,500 tax credit they've proposed for electric vehicles made in the U.S. that would absolutely cripple the Canadian industry. I know there's a threat of a trade war now that we're going to sanction. How soon could tariffs on U.S. goods happen? And are you prepared for a trade war with the U.S.?
1: We have seen over the past years that Canadians are ready to stand up for themselves. We stood up successfully on steel and aluminum tariffs. We renegotiated NAFTA under very difficult situations. We will always stand up for our workers. At the same time, we know that. Canadians and Americans have been building cars together for over 50 years and it's not just in our interest, it's in their interest as well. So we're looking for a solution to be did able you to solve Joe this. Did Those you tell Joe Biden? Absolutely. Those are the exact did, words that I used. Did you
0: tell him that we'll, if you put that tax credit, we'll put tariffs on your
1: goods equal? Nobody wants a trade war between Canada and the United States. There's so many other things going on that we are looking to find a solution to it but we will always stand up for Canadian workers.
0: Across the river where we are uh, we are today there was a a young grade three teacher who was fired from her job because she wore a hijab because of the controversial Bill 21, the secularism issue. Uh, None of the federal leaders have done much to stand up for it. I know you've threatened to join the federal court case but everyone said this is in Quebec. If you believe this is discriminatory,
1: and you've said it... I've said it. I've, I've been clear so from the very beginning how on how much I disagree. How you not if
0: it's discrimination? Why is... Dis- if you believe it's discrimination, why let it go?
1: Because the best place to be fighting this as a first step is for Quebecers themselves to be challenging this unjust law in their courts that they're provincial government Why is that forward. the best way? In,
0: Why shouldn't the federal, what sh- stops the federal government? What's the moratorium on fighting discrimination? What is
1: What is a better outcome to have a Quebec government fighting a federal government or a Quebec government having to de- defend its unjust law against its own citizens? It is much more... That's a political answer in, to no, a legal, legal no, issue
0: because rights, there's a young teacher that lost yes. her job and if yes. you believe That's discrimination. Isn't it incumbent on you the federal government to protect the Charter of Rights, not let them use the notwithstanding clause, and take a stand and say we're with you?
1: Uh, We have taken very clear stands that this bill is is wrong. We have also said that we are not putting aside the possibility of challenging it at the Supreme Court.
0: Can you just explain this to Fino-Trip? I mean it, because you had said, you know, look, everyone in the world has lapses of judgment. When, when, you did the, when you had those issues of blackface in the election, you said, I've got to examine myself, I've got to look at into my privilege and, and reflect. Then on the first day of for, to, to talk about truth and reconciliation, you took the family trip to Tofino, you flew over Kamloops. It was obviously you apologized for it. You recognized it was an insulting thing to do. Why'd you do
1: it? We had an event the night before on Parliament Hill to raise the reconciliation flag, and that morning I made phone calls uh, all morning to survivors uh, of, of uh, residential schools to hear from them. Uh, I should have done more. I should have gone to Kamloops. And when I went there a couple of weeks later, I apologized. And I was glad to be there for that, but it was uh, a mistake to have done.
0: Uh, what does it tell you about... I mean, being Prime Minister, you live in a bubble. Maybe people don't speak truth to power. They're scared to say to you. Hey, PM, this is a very bad call. What does it say about your, your, you keep saying, I got to reflect on this stuff to make that decision. What does it tell you about, maybe a gut check about your judgment?
1: Listen, we're all going to make mistakes. And the important thing is is to recognize them and try to rectify them. But I think throughout the, the, the years of working on reconciliation, throughout the years of working on progressive policies for Canadians, we've had far more successes than we've had mistakes, but of course there have been mistakes.
0: Here's a rapid-fire question. Three elections. Mm-hmm. Is Justin Trudeau going to run again? Yes. You are going to run oh, again. We, no we, walks com- in the snow? No. no.
1: no. Coming, coming out of this pandemic, uh, we have an opportunity uh, to go even further and even faster on things like climate change, reconciliation, growing the economy in ways that support the middle class. We've we've come through a difficult time. There is a an energy, even though everyone's exhausted. There is a capacity to do really big things in the coming years. And I'm really excited about serving Canadians. So
0: you're running again? Yes. What will define 2022?
1: Uh, I think the uh, hopefully getting out of this pandemic, leaving it behind us, uh, being able to uh, start accelerating on the fight against climate change even more than we already are, accelerate on reconciliation, accelerate on developing an economy that works for everyone in the 21st century with all the lessons we learned through this pandemic.
0: It's beginning to look a lot like, well like COVID and I'm not going to sing because my voice is a variant of concern but everywhere you go take a look the vaccines they're jabbing arms once again with boosters and masks that show look it's back sadly a COVID Christmas COVID restrictions new warnings new worries booster shot rollouts for one and for all
3: we're significantly scaling up capacity to do as many as 200,000 to 300,000 shots per day based on demand
4: Effective Monday, uh, December the 20th, uh, we will be opening up that eligibility age to all of those 18 years and older, and we'll be reducing the interval from your second dose to three months.
0: But how does this new wave reshape the political landscape? What does it do to the promised economic recovery? And are people just too fed up to comply to get some medical answers and some political answers the scrum is here joyce napier is ctv's ottawa bureau chief she warned me against singing smart joyce <laughs> stephanie levitt's political reporter with the toronto star and our special guest this round is infectious disease expert dr isaac bogosh uh, look happy holiday and merry christmas to everybody you celebrating doc uh, let me just start with you Uh, There's so much worry about this. Are are the concerns about Omicron overblown or not? The Ontario Science Advisory Table came out and said ICU admissions are going to hit unsustainable levels by January. They're recommending a circuit breaker. Provinces are curbing restrictions and gatherings. But uh, how do people approach the Omicron wave?
4: I don't think it's overblown. It's pretty clear that this is extremely transmissible, that cases are rising very, very quickly. We're in a period of exponential growth. And we have to factor in the two other points that you mentioned. We do have, uh, you know, limited health care capacity. And, of course, Canadians are, are done with this. I mean, we're all fed up and sick of it. It's, it's really a trifecta that's going to be very challenging over the next couple of weeks, even if this is milder. And, of course, there's no evidence that it is milder that's credible yet to date. But even if it does happen to be milder, It's still a huge problem because, as we've said all along, even if a small percentage of a large number of cases require hospitalization, when you fact, so many people that small percentage mm. ends up being a lot of people and we do have limited capacity at the moment
0: yeah and it's staff it's unbelievably difficult to deal with uh, and, and all of us are fed up all of us are scared uh, people are getting their boosters some are being told don't travel the prime minister met with the premiers in the last week um, they're nervous about more lockdowns but more restrictions are coming what are the politics as we enter yet another wave of this
2: Yeah, you know, it's really interesting to watch some of the political dynamics at play here, Evan. I mean, take a look at sort of even what's happened on the federal political landscape with which members of parliament have been instructed that they cannot travel at all during the holidays internationally. The Conservative caucus uh, has been, you know, was told that they can do really whatever they please. But you have the Conservatives, you know, in this country now saying don't lock down the borders. That's a complete pivot to where they were at the start of this. And in a little bit, they're reading the tea leaves here. People are very fed up about this. They were told by their government, they were told by public health, get vaccinated, respect the rules, and this is going to be fine. Suddenly, it's not fine. It's very uncertain. Yeah, Joyce, it's
0: real for a lot of people. Um, The last few months, the federal uh, government and the politics has all been about pandemic recovery. Hey, we're out of this. We're not out of this. So now does the federal government have to pivot back into, hang on, we're back in this thing?
5: Well, it's not clear yet. Um, I, I, I was hoping Dr. Bogatch would be a lot, a lot more optimistic, uh, but I, I, I guess we have to be realistic. I don't know, and nobody knows, obviously, the sci- science hasn't told us yet, you know, how far and how bad is this going to be. What we're doing right now is prevention. Uh, and it's not a bad thing. Look, I'm just as frustrated as anybody else. Um, it's discouraging for sure. Uh, we were told one dose, two dose, now we're into three dose. What I think, the, where I think the politicians are going wrong is not because they didn't read the tea leaves or they don't have a crystal ball, because actually we, nobody does. I think that they are sounding the alarm before the infrastructure is in place.
0: Doc, Doc Bogosh, uh, let's talk about that, uh, the efficacy of boosters, because there's a scramble for boosters. Pe- people are really nervous. Do I need my booster now? How long does it take to get the booster? Are boosters going to be fast enough? Is it too late? What's your sense of that? And, and and just, well, I've got you here. What do people do over the holidays? Uh, people are trying to make up their own minds whether to gather or not gather.
4: It's pretty clear that three doses of a vaccine is better than two. Is this going to stop the wave? it's not going to stop the wave. It just provides individuals with greater protection uh, if they're exposed to the virus. It'll either reduce the risk that they get infected, and if they are infected, it'll reduce the risk very likely that they'll have a more severe outcome. Two doses still help. It's pretty clear that two doses still help, but it's all the data is pointing towards three doses better than two. That, of course, cannot be your only strategy. You need a multi-pronged approach to at least Slow this down a little bit to give us some time to get doses in to bolster capacity in the hospitals because we are expecting uh, a rise in cases. And, you know, at an individual level, as you point out, what do you do over the holiday break? There's nothing new. There's nothing new, right? Get your vaccines when they're available to you. Uh, Rapid tests are increasingly available. It's helpful to have, you know, you can create a safer indoor space if everyone tests negative before you go into that space. Keep your gatherings small improve the quality of the mask that you're wearing what does that mean no single layered cloth masks anymore we should be having higher quality masks like those n95s or kn95s sometimes even surgical masks they're not you know as long as you've got a tight fit uh you're doing something right the public health agency of canada has it beautifully outlaid on their website um you know Mm. these are the steps better ventilated rooms we, we can get through this. We'll get through this wave just like we got wave, through waves one, two, and three.
0: Steph, on the, on the political side, Parliament just passed more targeted benefits introduced by the finance minister. Uh, these are reduced targeted benefits. Does the government now have to reconsider its plan on economic recovery if there's more kind of spasms and supply chain issues with this new wave?
2: Well, for one, I'm not sure they had a plan for economic recovery, Evan. But that, that's a discussion for a different time. The, the second piece of it is one of the things liberals have been saying, you know, in the in the last few weeks. Let's say in the shorter term, is that the point of some of these new benefit packages, what they were they were meant to be, um, flexible and responsive and responsive to situations as they arise. So targeted lockdowns, as a for example. Let's also not forget, and in the recent um, fall economic update, they did set aside 4.5 billion dollars earmarked with one word and one word only omicron so you know that sounds really yep. ominous if i say it like that omicron but but it's uh you know they they have the funds earmarked you know will they need to introduce some measure of new tar- new relief it, right. it is possible but they have insisted what they have in place is flexible and scalable and so canadians will have to take them at their word if that's true and if it's required
0: all right yeah well it's a rolling. the data is changing by the second uh and that's the challenge for governments and for, frankly, for everyone. Uh, Dr. Bogash, we really appreciate your, your uh, help, your perspective on this, and obviously all the help of the frontline workers who, once again, are, are facing a lot of work and they're exhausted. So thank you, sir. We really appreciate it, and we wish you and your family <laughs> a happy holidays. I- it's terrible. We don't like it. It's discriminatory, but it's Quebec's business not ours well that's how all the federal leaders are now responding to quebec's controversial bill 21 the law that prohibits provincial employees from wearing any religious symbols hijabs keepas turbans crucifixes quebec argues no it's not discriminatory get out of our business this applies to everyone not just one specific group but after a grade three teacher in quebec lost her job for wearing a hijab big city mayor said if the federal leaders aren't going to step in we will and they started to fundraise to help the legal defense against the law. Now, is this issue about to dominate the political landscape, or will it still be the pandemic and the inflation in the new year? To answer all that, the Scrum returns. Joyce Napier, our bureau chief here at CTV, is back. Stephanie Levitz, political reporter with The Star, is back, and our special guest this round is the founder of Nanos Research and the CEO, Nick Nanos. Uh, Nick, great to see you. Um, Nick, let's talk about this. Uh, We see big city mayors coming out against Bill 21. They're going to raise money. Uh, I spoke with the Prime Minister about this earlier, as we just showed. He said, look, it's best that this is fought in Quebec. What impact does this have politically, and has the situation with this young teacher changed this as a political issue?
3: Well, you know, the thing is, is this is bare-knuckle politics right now, Evan. The fact of the matter is is that for both the Liberals and the Conservatives, if they want to do well in the province of Quebec, they have to appeal to voters off the island. And that speaks to why they're turning themselves into policy pretzels many times on this issue because what they want is to try to appeal to those Quebecers that actually support Bill 21. But the fact of the matter is is that when we get into those big cities like Montreal and Toronto, for example, but in big city like Montreal, Gatineau, it's just bad news.
0: Joyce, uh, the, the federal leaders keep tiptoeing around this. They know it's popular in Quebec. They know votes are at stake. By the same token, it looks like they're getting increasing pressure to do something.
5: No, but the, the, the pressure has been there since the beginning, Evan, to do something. Uh, and what they do is talk, saying, well, this is, this is Quebec's uh, jurisdiction, and it is. Uh, it is Quebec's jurisdiction. Uh, that is the that's the, the the main problem for federal politicians. And also, oops, no, sorry, they want seats in Quebec. They don't want to lose those. And I don't know if if Quebecers, even those who don't necessarily support Bill 21, because not everybody supports it, would uh, would welcome interventions. Uh, from the federal government, from Ottawa. So, you know, they have to tiptoe because they don't want to lose seats. They also have to tiptoe because there is a separation of powers. Steph, let me go
0: to you on the politics of this as well. So, Justin Trudeau told me, and the Prime Minister said, look, this is much better for Quebec to challenge this within Quebec. We shouldn't get involved. I'm intrigued what you think of that. And meantime, Aaron O'Toole and conservatives, they say they don't like this, but. Boy, as Joy said, the raw politics of this, during the election campaign, Aaron O'Toole had something called the contract with Quebec to court votes there. And I'm reading off his website on uh, the contract with Quebec, contract number four, respect the right of Quebec to adopt the laws like Bill 21. He explicitly said, I will respect their rights. So how does he say, I, I told them they should do this, and now... He's got to stand up against it. What does that tell you?
2: I mean, I, the question has to be, when, when leaders say it's a Quebec issue, let's let, let's just, like, if we could, look at a political crystal ball. Let's have a look at this court case here. And chances are pretty good this case is going to make it all the way to the Supreme Court. So when it gets to the Supreme Court, no matter how the court rules in the end, does, that, does it still leave it as a Quebec issue? I don't think so, Evan. It becomes a national issue. And so keep continually deferring to, well, it's Quebec, well, it's Quebec. It is a national issue if and when the Supreme Court chooses to rule on it. You know, and the politics of it, the bare-knuckle politics that Nick alluded to, I mean, it's, it's classic in the O'Toole Conservative platform because you read a portion of the platform, Evan, that was written in French and directed at Quebecers. The words Bill 21 did not appear in the English-language version of the platform. In fact, the co- contract for Quebec is not actually in the English-language platform itself. It was a separate document. And so you can see how O'Toole on this particular issue was trying to talk outside both sides of his mouth then, and is both sides of his mouth now.
0: Yeah, interesting. He in his platform, as you say, he supported Bill 21 as his contract with Quebec. This is the party that had the Office of Religious Freedom. But we'll find out what happens. Quebec can always, as they say, invoke Section 33, the notwithstanding clause. And then the law is the law. Nick, let, let's go to the other big issue. I asked the Prime Minister for short-term immediate solutions on the inflation issue. Uh, his response is the pandemic. If we can end the pandemic, that's the answer. But that's not happening for a long time. Does the well, Prime Minister need to address this issue more specifically and more quickly? That's not going
3: to cut it with most Canadians. You know, the fact of the matter is is that you know, according to the research that we've done, about two out of every three Canadians are worried about just paying the bills for regular things like grocery and and gas. And they want action. And, you know, the thing is, is that think we have the Omicron variation. Now we have inflation. People are worried about paying their bills. They're worried about the rising cost of uh, of, of living. And we can't have a government say, well, you know what? Yes, obviously, the pandemic has to be dealt with. Absolutely. But What's going to help people in the next four weeks pay their bills? How is it going to help them make sure that they can put food on the table? And we should not underestimate the rising cost of housing and how Canadians are significantly worried about that.
0: Yeah, and Joyce, do they need to figure out a new answer for the inflation and cost of living outside global supply chain and the pandemic? And look,
5: we've got the child care issue. Do they need something else or can they ride it out? No, I mean, what else? Uh, The question is, what else? what can the government do uh, about that and so far their solutions have been zero and expect with this new variant with Omicron that these supply chain issues will get worse and so this is not going to get better the the uh, you know I, I, I hate to be the, the pessimist in the room but it's not going to get better because um, you know this is caused by exterior uh, circumstances not necessarily but yes some of the Canadian spending is you know a culprit if you will but what percentage of the canadian spending or the, the spending of the federal government is responsible for this inflation ten percent fifteen percent the rest is all factors that are beyond the government's control at the moment Steph, um this could be the biggest issue i mean look p- pandemic inflation cost
0: of living are the two biggest issues um you know you listen to the prime minister and Christian freeland do they have an answer that is going to last, as as Joyce and Nick both say, if the, the pandemic is linked to all these issues and the pandemic ain't going away?
2: They have a 50,000-foot answer, Evan, when most Canadians are looking about two inches in front of their face at their own at their own bills. And that's the big challenge here because I think, you know, we, we can sit here in Ottawa um, and talk about the big picture issues about inflation, global supply chains, these really, really big things. But for a lot of folks, that doesn't compare down into their day-to-day cost of living. Like Joyce said, there are small things the government could be doing, but probably a big thing they could be doing is not appearing to be so tone-deaf about it and dismissive of the idea and pushing it off and and proposing solutions when they talk about housing affordability and they talk about childcare. Those are their two big ones. Those are many months down the road yet, and this is a today problem for many Canadians.
0: All right. Well, here we are again, as you both, all three of you, have said. We're back. It's kind of deja vu all over again, as we say. All right, I got to leave it there. Uh, Nick, now it's great to see you. Uh, enjoy your Christmas and, and with your family. And of course, Joyce, I don't know if we ever get time off, but if you do, enjoy it. The news never stops. And Steph, happy holidays. Stay safe. And to all of you, thanks so much for watching. If you're celebrating Christmas, we all wish you a Merry Christmas, a safe one, and happy holidays. It's not what we wanted. It's not even close, but stay safe. If you can do it, hug your loved ones. Thanks for watching. In the next few weeks, we've got some special programs, our in-depth look ahead at the big issues that will impact 2022, and we will host our annual Great Political Quiz Show, so get ready for that. And in the meantime, we will see you in seven short days. Thanks for watching.